0: We are in a series uh, that takes us to a lot of the places that Jesus went on His way to the empty tomb, destination, resurrection. And I had a, a question, somebody asked me this morning, why are we doing that? Is it just like a tour through Jerusalem? Well, it kind of is, but a lot of times in the Easter story, we just sort of blow through all the places that He went and each one of those places has a tremendous amount of significance. Uh, the, what I want to deal with today, we're uh, sort of jumping the gun a little bit because I was planning to deal with something else. And as I was reading the story, I couldn't get past the temple. Couldn't get past uh, all of the interactions that Jesus had in the temple. So pause for a second. I love church. I love going to church I love being in church. I sort of didn't start out that way. I've told you guys before, I didn't grow up in church. Uh, The first church that I went to was the uh, Trinity Baptist Church in Richardson, Texas. They sent a school bus through the neighborhood to pick up reprobate kids and get them to Sunday school. My sister and I got on the bus. Actually, I didn't want to get on the bus, but she threatened to tell my parents some things that I didn't want them to know. And so I got on the bus and found Jesus. You could honestly say I was blackmailed into the kingdom of God. And so after that, we moved. My dad was transferred here to Atlanta. We got involved in the Pine Lake Baptist Church out in Stone Mountain, Georgia. Pine Lake's a fascinating little community. I talked about it a little bit last week. What I didn't tell you is that our little church there had an interesting uh, 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 thing that was unique to that church. Our Oregon picked up police calls. <laughs> now, there's only two police cars in all of Pine Lake, but if any of them were on the move, we knew about it in between Amazing Grace and nothing but the blood of Jesus. We we heard it over the organ speakers. After Pine Lake, I ended up in college at the Temple Baptist Church in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, wonderful place that believed in discipleship of college students. Uh, After that, I came back to Atlanta. I was a youth pastor at the Roland Hills Baptist Church out in Stone Mountain for a little while. Then I went to seminary, became the youth pastor at the Memorial Baptist Church in Metairie, Louisiana. After that, First Baptist Church of Winfield. After that, Here and then back to New Orleans for a little while at First Baptist Church in New Orleans and back here. The reason I give you my roster of churches is that every one of them was special. Every one of them, there was was something about the people gathered that was special. Something about uh, a a person at each one or an experience at each one. Each one was special. And it occurred to me that the temple... For Jesus was church. The the temple was where he came to church. The temple was where he came uh, to be around God's people, to be around teaching. So I I wanted to explore that just a little bit today, and we're going to be in Mark 11, Luke 19. So this is a picture of a, a model of the reproduction of Herod's temple in Jerusalem. Now, I'll I'll explain it a little bit more. It's an impressive place, and what happened there was important, but not if you don't kind of connect it with what's going on in your heart. So this is actually not the first temple Israel ever had. During the time of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, they sort of had uh, local... uh, Worship places, altars or sanctuaries where they, they just kind of uh, worshiped God where they were and gathered the village. And then during Moses' time, he gave them elaborate instructions in Deuteronomy and Leviticus as how to construct what was called the tabernacle, sort of a mobile temple. It was a, a, a portable temple that moved from place to place, and through all of their wilderness wanderings, they worshiped in the tabernacle. Once they finally got to their home in the promised land, they established that tabernacle in a permanent place called Shiloh. It was there for almost 400 years. And then when King David uh, conquered Jerusalem, he decided that the temple needed to be there. Well, God said, hey, David, since you have done some things in your life that aren't so godly, I'm not going to let you build the temple. I'm going to let your son build it. And so the first temple in Jerusalem we called Solomon's Temple. It was glorious. It was magnificent. You can see the construction plans uh, in the Scripture well, long about 587 B.C., the Babylonians destroyed all of Jerusalem, including the temple. Seventy years or so later, the people started building it back. And for the next 400 years, they built a little bit, and then somebody would attack it, and they'd build a little bit, and somebody would attack it. And by the time of King Herod, the one we read about in the New Testament, the one that tried to kill Jesus when he was an infant... He decided that he would rebuild Solomon's temple in order to sort of appease the Jewish people. He was a, an Edomite. He was from uh, Petra, a place in Jordan, modern-day Jordan. But he was the king established by the Romans to keep the Roman peace. And so he said, if I build them a temple, maybe they'll sort of settle down. If I, if I build them a magnificent temple. And so Herod decided to go big or go home with this deal. And there was a, a law in the Jewish laws that said you can't have a temple bigger than Solomon's temple. So Herod did the next best thing. He rebuilt the temple itself kind of over the shell of Solomon's temple. But then he expanded the whole temple complex to where it was about 35 acres. Big plot of marble, and so the Temple Mount today is what Herod built as the temple, and in the middle of it was that guy. And so he decided that they could have worship there. He he decided that they could have, uh, a, a, and so Jesus spent a lot of time there, including the part of Scripture that I want to read today. Now, this is a picture of the whole temple mount. But as we look at Mark chapter 11, Mark chapter 11, I want you to get in your mind that the road to the resurrection goes through the temple. So here's the story. Last week, we talked about a place called Bethany. And that Jesus liked to hang out in Bethany whenever he was in Jerusalem. That was a place he spent the night, usually at the home of his friends at Lazarus, Mary, Martha, sometimes at his friend Simon. But but he would usually spend the night in Bethany. And most people think that when he came into Jerusalem, it would have been on Friday or Saturday, probably Friday, he went to Bethany. And then he got up on Sunday morning and did this thing we call the triumphal entry, Palm Sunday. And then on Monday, after he slept in Bethany again on Sunday night, he went back to Jerusalem, and what he saw in the temple just really ticked him off. And what he saw in the temple was a bunch of people who were selling stuff and they would have been in this place called the court of the gentiles the the temple when Herod rebuilt it he rebuilt the temple over Solomon's temple but then he built all these other things around it porches porticos courtyard areas, and so it was sort of layered on the outside, the court of the Gentiles. Then as you get inside that inner wall, there was the court of the women. Sorry, ladies. And then beyond that was called the court of the Israelites, and and, and you could only go in there if you were a Jewish male. And then beyond that was the court of the priests, and then beyond that was the inner court, and then the holy of holies, which was the most Holy, private, innermost part. It would have been under the highest part of the roof. And the high priest is the only one who could go in there. And he could only go in there once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And so the court of the Gentiles was available for everybody, anybody could go there. And it had become a couple of things. It was Passover week that we're talking about, the triumphal entries, Palm Sunday started Passover week, and, and people would bring sacrifices to the temple, right? Or offerings to the temple. Sometimes it would be an animal, and sometimes it would be like coins. Well, there was two things. Number one, your sacrifice had to be certified okay by the sacrifice police at the temple. And if they decided your sacrifice was not okay, you had to buy a certified sacrifice. And conveniently, there were sacrifice salesmen right here in the court of the Gentiles. And if you brought money from your hometown, it had to be exchanged to the temple currency. And guess what? There were money changers who happened to be nearby to help you out with that. So if you didn't have the right sacrifice, you got to buy one. If you didn't have the right exchange, currency exchange, you had to change it. And, of course, there was a rate. And so there was all this buying and selling, animals, money changers. And to make it even worse, a 35-acre courtyard, it takes a while to go around it. So there was a practice of people just going through it, right? Shortcut through the temple, animal cart, FedEx truck, right through the middle. Don't have to go around it. All this big, take a while to go around it. Go right through it. And so Jesus, when he saw all this mess going on, that's what this scripture is about. Mark chapter 11, verse 15. On reaching Jerusalem, Jesus entered the temple courts. That would have been the court of the Gentiles. And he began to drive out those who were buying and selling. This is nonsense. You're taking advantage of people. There's no worship anywhere to be seen in here. And then he also drove out the money changers. He overturned their tables, the benches of those selling doves, and he would not allow anyone to carry merchandise through the temple courts. No more shortcuts. He says, because you have, as it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. Don't miss all nations, court of the Gentiles. It was was intended from the very beginning that you and I as non-Jewish people could take part in this thing called grace. That we could be a part of this thing called the kingdom of God. That we could be involved in the wonderful act of grace that, that that Jesus made possible through his death on the cross that our praise team sang about. And so he says it's it's not okay the way you are treating this. So I want to set up the rest of our time this morning by saying there, there are three questions that I'd like to throw at you, three, three questions that I'd kind of like you to answer just silently. You don't need to shout unless you feel like shouting, but uh, answer these questions as we kind of unpack what it meant by his offense of what happened in the temple. Question number one, how, why was the temple such a big deal? Why was it such a big deal to Jesus? Why why did he decide in the last week of his life to pick a fight in the temple? And by the way, Luke's version of this story says he went there and taught every day of what we call Holy Week. So why on the first day that he was there, Monday, Palm Sunday, great day. Hosanna, Hosanna, you're a good guy. And then on Monday, he decides to pick a fight. Why was that such a big deal? Well, Jesus had been in and around the temple a whole bunch. Before he was even born, a relative of his was serving as a priest in that temple, and he predicted Jesus' birth. A little while later, Mary, his mother, Brought him there to dedicate him as a Jewish boy. Brought him to that temple in Jerusalem to dedicate him. A little while later, when he was an adolescent, some of you remember the story of how his parents came to Jerusalem for the Passover. And then as they got started home, they assumed he was with another relative. But then after a while, they said, where's Jesus? Where's he gotten off to? They couldn't find him anywhere. It took them three days to find him. He was an adolescent, so I'm not sure how hard they were looking, but we'll just leave that at that. He was in the temple, and it said he was teaching. He was instructing. He was, he was talking about the Scriptures back in that same temple, Herod's temple in the middle of Jerusalem. He was tempted there. We don't know if it's a dream or if Satan really took him there. But Satan took him to the pinnacle, the highest part of that temple, and said, if you're really the Son of God, you are jump off, and the angels won't let you fall and even hit your feet against the stone. That's where that was. He healed there. He taught there. He went there constantly. The temple for him was a really big deal. It was a sacred place. It was a it was a place where uh, in, in former days, God's glory resided there. Now, some would say that a godless king built this temple and that maybe or maybe not God was there, but certainly it was a place where God was honored. What does that mean for us? What should the temple be for us? What should church be for us? Online, what should worship be for us? What should this time of the week be for us? Well, number one, it's a place of worship. If you look back in Exodus chapter 20, Exodus chapter 20, the 10 commandments are listed. And of those 10, the first four have to do with worship. You shall have no other gods before me. You uh, shall not make an, an image of or of likeness. You shall not fall down and worship that. You shall not take the Lord's name in vain in an empty, mindless way. So, uh, the, the, the place of worship is, is a special space. And, and many of you, when I was listing all of my churches, you thought about a church that had been special to you, a church that had been meaningful to you. I, I look around and several of you were baptized during our Easter Sunday morning sunrise baptism service. And you remember the specialness of that freezing cold morning when you were outdoors and watching the sunrise over the courtyard. And that was a special place for you. It was a a place where God was. It was a place where you met God. It was a place of worship. It was a place of God's presence. Exodus 25, verse 8, God says to the people, you build a sanctuary and I will dwell with you there. That that is my promise. You build a sanctuary. You organize a space. You define a place. You come together, and I will be there. I will dwell among you. God inhabits the praises of his people. It's a place of sacrifice. Now, this is the PG part of the program. Sorry. But sometimes we forget that sacrifice is involved in what we do. We we sort of sanitize the whole sacrifice, but if you think about Old Testament sacrifice, I'm not much of an ag guy, but I'm guessing that no animal is willing to be sacrificed. They didn't anesthetize them, so the sacrifice was a bloody bawling mess. The animal is being sacrificed, butchered in front of the congregation, blood spurting everywhere. The animal is being sacrificed. And I only get that graphic because sacrifice helps us to understand the weight of sin. To imagine what it took for sin to be forgiven, it puts a little bit more weight on it, doesn't it? And if we, in our mind, envision the gruesomeness of the cross, the agony and the blood and the pain and the disrespect that Jesus hung on that cross, then that sacrifice helps us to understand the weight of sin. And sometimes we forget when we come in this place that the weight of sin is on us the weight of sin rests upon Jesus sacrifice for that sin the weight of sin it's a place of community throughout the old testament and then on into the new after the the temple was destroyed by the romans in 70 AD the the jewish people set up synagogues or or localized worship places there was never a, a part of worship in the Old or New Testament that was meant to be solo, that was meant to be, I'm just going to worship in my private place, in my private home. Yes, we pray. Yes, we, we have devotions, but, but the idea of, of worship is corporate. We come together and, and we're having a conversation with uh, somebody about the, the, the way our world is going virtual. And what do we lose when we have virtual classrooms and self-driving cars that come by and pick us up on demand? What do we, what do we lose when we're virtual everywhere? And, and I know that, that this wonderful medium of, of online worship has allowed uh, us to, to let you keep up with what's going on at church when you can't be here. And for those who are, are ill or uh, those who are in hospitals or nursing homes or, or still somewhat tentative about uh, coming out, that, that this has allowed a, a wonderful expression of worship. But there's just something about being with people. Just something about being here. I love church. I've always loved church from Pine Lake all the way to Dunwoody. I have loved church because I get to be with people. Second question, how should we enter the temple? Whether we're at home or whether we're here, there's a temptation to be casual, right? There's a temptation to sort of be nonchalant. To, let's get this over with. Let's, let's do our hour and figure out where we're going to go to lunch. Let's, let's do our time. Let's, let's, let's get in there and just do that. So how do we approach worship? How do we come into the temple? Let me suggest a few things. One, authenticity. There were two quotes that I handled this week. One of them... Henry Blackaby, the author of Experiencing God, a man now in his 80s, he was asked, have we become too casual with worship, with our breakfast biscuits and our coffee and our texting? Have we become too casual? And Henry Blackaby said, absolutely, we have. We we have lost the holy transcendence of God. Another quote that I read, Bob Russell used to be the pastor at Southeast Christian Church in Louisville, Kentucky. And he has transitioned that ministry over to a young man named Kyle Eidelman, wrote a book called Not a Fan, great book to read. Early in the ministry, Eidelman came to Pastor Russell and he said, I'm probably not going to wear a suit when I preach. Probably that's not going to work out for me. I feel like a hypocrite if I'm wearing a suit. And Pastor Russell said, well, you know, we wear suits when we preach. This is, this is Almighty God we're coming before. He said, if you went into the Oval Office, if you went to see the President of the United States, wouldn't you dress up? And Eidelman's response was, probably not if he was my dad. We come into the presence of our Father. And He is not so much concerned about what we wear on the outside as what we wear on the inside. He is a lot more concerned about our heart our brokenness before Him, our entering the temple with a sense of awe, than He is what we wear. So authenticity, self-examination. I love this Scripture. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord or who may stand in the holy place? He is His clean hands, a pure heart, and has not lifted up His soul to an idol. A better word for that than idol is vanity or emptiness. You not put your trust in emptiness, but you have put your trust in God. This is actually what's called an antiphonal psalm in the Old Testament. It's designed for the priest to say a line and the people to respond. Who may ascend the hill of the Lord? Him with clean hands, pure heart, not lifted up a soul of the idol. Uh, Later on in the psalm, who is this king of glory, the Lord mighty in battle? It went back and forth as the people sort of got ready for worship. They entered with self-examination, with confession. Paul, later on to the Corinthians, wrote a letter saying we should not take the Lord's Supper lightly. We shouldn't approach the Lord's Supper with casualness, but we should examine ourselves. We should take stock, take inventory, think about the things that are between us and God. And then, and only then, we confess. If we confess our sins. He is faithful. He is righteous to forgive our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. And he allows us to come into his presence authentically with self-examination, with confession, and with humility. If my people who are called by my name Humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, seek my face. Then I will hear them from heaven, forgive their sins, and heal their land. There's this, this humility that we, we acknowledge that when we come in this place, He's God and we're not. We sing the songs, but then we think about the words that we're singing. He walked out of that grave. He walked out of that grave. And we we, we cannot escape the transcendence, the mystery, the holiness, the awe, the bigness of God. We approach Him with humility. The sacrifice acceptable to God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, Lord, you will not despise. We come into the temple joyfully and expectantly. Now, the joyfully part you probably get, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. I posted that early this morning with a picture of the lighted cross in front of this church. By the time you got here, it wasn't lighted, but early it was. And I was just—I was joyful about the idea that we would be in this room and we would get to speak of the things the Lord has done. We would get to sing the songs. We would get to have the energy that's in this room to where we know that God has looked after us, that God has loved us, that God has given us a way to be one with Him. But what about the expectantly part? He shall receive blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God. This is Jacob, the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face. Do we have this sense of, of what is God going to do with what I hear today? What is God going to do because I came today? What is God going to do because I turn my attention for this hour To sing his songs, to handle his scripture, to pray, to be with people. What is God going to do? Do I expect a miracle to happen? The song said, miracle's still gonna happen. Is there a miracle in this room? We've had miracles this week. But have we become so casual about our approach to the temple that we, we no longer expect a miracle? We no longer approach with joy. We, we do church because that's what we do on Sunday. Or maybe this is the first time in a while that you've been at church, the first time ever. I hope that there is a sense in you of the joy around you, the expectation that God still does what God and God alone can do. So then Paul throws us a little bit of a wrench. We understand that we don't drag animals up here anymore. We understand that our sacrificial system is a little bit different these days. And for the Jewish people, as the synagogues replaced the temple, their rhythm changed a little bit. And then Paul drops this bomb in a letter to the Corinthians when he says, You know what? You are now the temple. And so my third question, is your body a temple? There's an old cliche that says something like this, your life may be the only Bible that some people read. And so I want to change that around. Your life may be the only temple that some people experience, or certainly the first temple that some people experience. Maybe your life, the joy, the expectation, the authenticity, the humility, the way that you approach worship, the way that you talk about your God, the miracles that you expect, maybe that temple is where God resides now. Paul said the Holy Spirit will fill us up. The Holy Spirit will live there. God's presence, that's why they went to the temple, Exodus 25. I will dwell among you. You build me a sanctuary. You give me a life. I will fill you up. I will fill you up with my Holy Spirit, and and, and people will be able to see that wherever it is that you go. Is it possible that you are the first temple that some people ever experience? Oswald Chambers said it this way. God makes us pure by an act of His sovereign grace. But we still have something that we must carefully watch as we interact with other people. Not only must our inner sanctuary, the Holy of Holies, be kept right with God, but also the outer courts must be brought into perfect harmony. That's what Jesus did. He said, we've got to clear all the courts of the temple We can't just think worship is is the only thing that happens and the priest is the only one that really gets to experience all of God and that only once a year. The curtain that divides God from real people when Jesus died on the cross, that curtain tore wide open from top to bottom symbolizing that we have access to worship God. Your outer courts... He he chased the the vendors out of the temple so that people couldn't be taken advantage of in worship, so that all people, poor people, rich people, connected people, not connected people, people who knew the stories, people who didn't know the stories, he said, I will make it a house for all the nations. Wow. Wow. One more story took place at the temple, and this is kind of what I want you to take away this week. After Jesus had died and been resurrected and ascended back to heaven, Acts chapter 4, there's a story of Peter and John, two of his disciples, and they're hanging out in the temple, and uh, they have the occasion to preach some and talk to some people and heal some people. And, uh, and then apparently there were people that were sort of questioning their, their deal because they had never been to school, they had never trained, they weren't rabbis or anything, and yet their teaching seemed to have a lot of insight. Watch what happens. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. That is my prayer when we leave the temple that's my prayer when we leave this place, that when we approach it with a sense of authenticity and humility and joy and expectation, when we get that it's God's presence, that it's community, that it's worship, that it's sacrifice, when we when we get the total picture of what it is to be able to tune into worship from your own home or to be in the room to worship, that the takeaway is that we're not the same as when we came in. we got to spend an hour with Jesus. I know you can spend time with him all the time. I know that for some of you, your car is a place of prayer. If you've ever ridden with me, our car needs to be a place of prayer. But here is special. It's just different. It's just a place where when we leave this place, we've been with God's people, doing God's stuff, singing God's songs. And when Jesus thought that was going to be violated, when people wouldn't have the chance to come into God's presence because they had to fight their way through the salesman, they had to dodge the UPS truck coming through the middle, that's not what it is. What it is is worship. What it is is us leaving here and people going, I don't know about them. Don't know their story. Don't know where they come from. Some of them are pretty young. Some of them really old. But what seems to be common is that they have been with Jesus. Would you pray with me? It could be that this is foreign to you. We want you to be able to say that you have spent time with Jesus. And if you're not really sure if you know him, when you leave, I, I want to challenge you to talk to some people in green shirts. They'll point you to pastors, or I usually hang around up here. You can come find me. But it's really important that you start that conversation. That you say, Jesus, I need you. I didn't realize that you sacrificed for my sin, but I want you to forgive me of that sin based on the sacrifice that you made on the cross. God, would you forgive me and let me become a follower of Christ? And he will. Let's have that conversation. Maybe you're trying to figure out if you want to be a part of a, a church gathering, a temple gathering like this let us point you to ways that you can be connected with this church or, or if this one doesn't work for you, any church but that you get involved with the people of God if you feel like you've lost a lot of traction, maybe you've been away for a while our former pastor used to say take the next right step there's not a bad time to do the next right thing See somebody in a green shirt. See a pastor. Let's have a conversation that gets you plugged into the things of God, the people of God, the songs of God, the word of God. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we can draw near to you because you died for us. We can live for you because of the sacrifice that you made on the cross. Thank you for a chance to be at church to be among God's people. Thank you that you found a way to put this into the story of Holy Week, that Jesus thought the temple was so important that he stopped there to teach, stopped there to worship, and wanted to make sure that everybody else could too. God, receive our worship today. Receive our praise. Receive our request that you would forgive us of our sins based on your sacrifice for we have come to worship in Jesus name